You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. First time here at Southridge, we want to welcome you here. You're a special guest. Fill out, take time to fill out the connection card and drop it off at the offering or at the offering box outside. Uh, I would be reading from Psalm 29. It says here, Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory, the God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon leap like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. I love the word of God. Let's go to him in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, you are worthy of all glory, all majesty. We lift you up in this place. We lift you up in our hearts, Father. We pray right now for all those that are here that you would draw near to them and they would draw near to you. Your word says, open thy mouth wide that I might fill it. And so, Father, we come with hungry hearts. Father, we come with burdens. We come to you needing you, needing the touch from heaven. I pray for those that are far from you that they would be draw, drawn to you this evening. I pray for those that do not know you at all, that are on the fringe. I pray that today they would make the greatest decision of their entire life to receive you as their personal Lord and Savior, to not trust their own works of righteousness, but that they would trust you. And Father, we pray for our nation. We pray that we would humble ourselves and seek you. We pray that you would stir up a great awakening in our day and age, Father. May you move across this land. May you move in this place. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. It is so good to see each and every one of you. I want to welcome all those who are watching online, who are engaging with us across all of our platforms. We're so glad to have you with us. We're so grateful that you would take time to join us online. And we would love to see you in person whenever you feel comfortable. Uh, we also have our ch children's ministry, Ridge Kids, is now open from zero to ages seven. We would love for you to feel comfortable to uh, drop off your children with our uh, trained professionals. We'd love to uh, minister to them in an age-appropriate environment whenever you feel comfortable taking them there. But we're glad that you are here. I'm so excited to see you and be with you. I love the worship songs that we sang because each and every week as we go to God's Word, we can see the worship just fits so perfectly. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, let's go to the book of Acts. And we're in Acts chapter number 16. Acts chapter number 16. Last week we looked at chapter 15, and now we are in Acts 16. And this is an exciting passage of Scripture. But as you're turning there, I would love to ask you a question. How many of you handle transition well? Like transition doesn't phase you. You're good with transition. Anybody? Oh, okay. We have an honest church. There we go. I like it. Oh, there's a few of you that you handle transition really well. Excellent. How many of you would uh, be bold enough to say, yeah, I'm not so great with transition. Transition is not my thing. There we go. There's kind of a, a 95 to 97% of us. We do not handle transition, whether it's at our place of employment where we now need to work out on 
different time. Maybe we're moving from uh, the morning shift to swing or from swing to graveyard, or maybe it's a different position in the same company, or it's a new company, or you had to make the transition into online learning, whether you're a student or whether it's something where now your children are now watching their classes via Zoom or Google Hangouts, whatever their teachers are using these days. I talked to some people and they said, yeah, I just, I just play Fortnite and I just, my name's there and I'm just doing something else, you know, and it's, I was thinking, what a day we live in, right? Just what an interesting time we live in. And so when it comes to transition, it's sometimes hard to deal with transition. And life is all about transition, isn't it? I mean, uh, we're all in a process of transitioning. Uh, some of you are in the process of transitioning into a young adult. You are uh, maybe leaving middle school into high school or leaving high school into college or maybe you're leaving one career for a, another career or maybe you're expecting a child or maybe you're expecting a promotion. And you're, we're always kind of living in this mode of transition. If you're a part of Southridge for any length of time, never get comfortable at one location. We're always transitioning. We're always just kind of like on the move. And with that being said, <laughs> the great segue, right? In two weeks, um, Calvary said they need to show a movie that in their auditorium at the same time as us. I said, sure, not a problem. Just show your movie. We'll be here. And so uh, what they're going to do is we're going to transition our service for two weeks, uh, October the 11th and the 18th. We're going to move our service time to 1 o'clock in the afternoon. I know that that's not easy, but considering how gracious Calvary's been, we're, we're going to make for that two weeks, we'll make the adjustment. But when it comes to transition, it's not always easy, is it? It's not always easy. Uh, I remember nowadays it's different. When I was 15, I couldn't wait to be 16 because you get to drive. You, you, as soon as you could, you would, you would get behind the wheel of a car and just love that freedom. Nowadays, kids don't have, as far as uh, I've noticed, they don't have the same drive, zeal. Like at 15 and a half, yes, I can go get my learner's permit and, you know, get behind the wheel and do the hours that I need. Uh, but I remember I was excited. Man, I want to drive a car. And so you go down to the DMV and uh, everything was going great with the test until they asked, the instructor asked me to parallel park. That's when everything kind of went south. And then I kind of skidded against the curb a little bit. And then it was game over when she said, okay, now back up like 10, 15 feet. And it was just like my parents' car just constantly hitting the curb, you know. And, and unfortunately, I failed the first time. And then I was like, that's okay. You know, everybody, you know, fails the first time, I think. And so I decided I'll go to a different DMV. I asked my friends. I said, which DMV is easier? And they told me in Fresno which DMV was better. So I went to that DMV. And they were wrong because that DMV was harder. I failed in the parking lot. I did not even make it out of the DMV parking lot. The guy just failed. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? Who fails in the parking lot? He's like, you do. That's you. You know? And so it's like, all right. And then, so I put my driver's license because I was like, man, I don't handle, I don't handle transition well. So what I decided to do was I'll just wait till I'm 18. I'm just not going to get, I'm not going to go through the process again. Just wait until I was 18. And then I took it. And it's kind of funny. Maybe life in my life works in threes. Because even when I wanted to, uh, you know, ask my wife, Jane, to marry me, the first time, you know, you show up at the future father-in-law's house, you go over there, you know, you ask to have a conversation. My father-in-law is very hard of hearing, just like me. So it's like two deaf people trying to have a conversation. It's the most funny thing. I mean, just to be a fly on the wall, to watch two people who can't hear each other and uh, talk to each other. And I love my father-in-law. He's great, right? And so immediately the answer wasn't even like, didn't even hesitate. I said, hey, I want to ask your daughter's hand in marriage. And I just thought it'd be respectful to ask your permission first. Didn't hesitate. No, just like not even, just like not even. And I was like, okay, I'm a salesperson. So I was like, okay, what do I need to work on? Like, what are you looking for? And he was like, well, you need to have this, 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 this. And he had a long list. Like he had thought about it. I was like, okay, all right. So I kid you not, not even six months later, I, work, I went and worked on the list. And then for all you Costco fans, I went to Costco and bought the ring. You know, I wasn't going to go to a real jewelry store. I was like, Costco, get my 3% back. So go down, I buy the ring and I go back. And this time I'm like, this, he'll, do, he'll know I'm serious. I, I, I 
marked everything on the list. And then uh, I said, hey, it's six months later. I still want to marry your daughter. We're still in love. And look, I got a ring. And I opened it in the box. I was like, check that out. I mean, I'm serious now. Like, I'm ready. He didn't even hesitate a minute. He was like, that's good. She's not ready. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Three times my father-in-law said, no, you can't marry my daughter. So I was like, fine, Vegas, here we come. All right, baby, let's go. We'll just go to Vegas. And uh, transition didn't work well. But you'll notice that even as a Christian, there's always transition that's happening. And right now, our country's in a moment of transition. Churches are in a moment of transition. And it's hard to deal with transition. But I notice when it comes to God, new beginnings come after his endings. New beginnings always come after his endings. Everybody talks about, oh, I want to see God do a new thing. I want to see God do something new in my life. Then God says, okay, what are you prepared to let transition and die in your life. See, too often, we want to go into a new season, but we want to keep all the same old things with us. Notice what Jesus did throughout Scripture. You can see, anytime there's a transition, there's always something you've got to leave behind. Think back to the children of Israel before they crossed the Jordan River. A couple of things that God did. God, first of all, said, hey, the man is going to cease. And then God also said, hey, this thing about uh, circumcision, he's like, hey, let's bring this back. There was, a, there was all these things that had to happen right before they went into that new season. God's like, I got to close the door on something else before I move you into this new thing. I believe that God is transitioning our church into a great season. But whenever God does that, there's always an ending. But for you and I, transitions can be tough. And we can fight against the transition. Because anything that is coming that's new, there's always the unknown. And it's important for us to trust the Lord. I love what Christine Kane said about transition. She said, sometimes God closes doors because it's time to move forward. He knows that you won't move unless the circumstances force you to. And I think that's so powerful that God has these transitions. And we're coming to Acts 16, which is a transitional chapter. We saw last week that there was a great uh, disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, the two that led the first missionary journey, Acts 13 and 15. And they saw great success. Well, that partnership broke up. So you see transition. You see transition. Paul saying, I'm going to go on another missionary journey. He goes in Acts 16, the very first few verses. He goes to the city that he was stoned at meets a young disciple named Timothy, and he begins to train and mentor Timothy. And Timothy's going to become very near and dear to Paul. And I love Timothy's life. We're not going to dive into it this evening, but Timothy is from a divided home. You say, what do you mean a divided home? You see, Timothy's mother was a Christ follower. Timothy's father was not. Even though you may have a divided home, you can still have a devoted faith. You see, sometimes we make excuses why we can't follow God. But remember, even if your home is divided, one parent chooses God, the other doesn't, you can still have a devoted faith. And I love this. If you're a single parent, you can raise a Timothy. Timothy's going to be greatly used by God. So take encouragement from these verses. And so you see Paul transitioning. He's got a new uh, partner as they're going to go in and take the gospel in the second missionary journey in Acts 16. And let's pick it up in verse number 6 because I want you to see how Paul deals with transition. Because you and I are going to deal with transition. But let's see how Paul does, deals with it in verse number 6. It says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. I don't know about you, but that verse strikes me as odd. That God would forbid Paul from preaching? Wait a minute, I'm trying to do a good thing for you, God, and you're forbidding me to do it. Notice what happens after that. The very next verse, verse 7. After they had come to Myasia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Myasia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. 
here's transition. Paul had a plan to take the gospel into Asia, which would be Mongolia, China at that time. Instead, God redirects him through a series of no's. I would love for you to write this down. God's no's are just as important as his go. A lot of times we always want to hear go from God, but sometimes God's going to give you a no. And it's just as important that we obey God with the no, that we say, okay, that's God doing something right now. Even though it was a great thing that Paul wanted to do, he wanted to preach the gospel. Is there any nobler, greater thing for a child of God to do than to take his word and spread the gospel? But God had a greater plan, and I love that Paul was submissive to God's plan. And you and I can learn from that, that we can say, God, I'm going to be submissive even though I have a desire, even though I have a will that is strong in what I want to do, even though it may be a good and godly desire, still saying, Lord, I'm submissive to what you want from me, and I'm going to follow your way. I also love this, that Paul, even in his life, the great apostle Paul, didn't always know what to do. I think we just look at some Christians that have been a Christian all their life, and we think they've got it all figured out. You look at the couple who's been married 40-plus years and just think they probably have a perfect marriage. You look at the parent who's read, raised seven kids, and they're all doing great, you know, and, and they all have jobs. They're all successful, and they're all out of your house. You're just like, wow, you know, just like, oh, what amazing parents, right? And you would think they have it perfect, and come to find out they don't. Even Paul, he didn't know what to do. And I love when you read when he came to Troas, it just kind of has this idea that God said no twice. So it's just like, okay, I'm going to go to Troas, and I'm just going to wait here. And in that waiting, God comes to him in a vision. And in the vision, he sees a man saying from Macedonia, which Macedonia is parts of Eastern Europe. The gospel is going to go the exact opposite direction that Paul wanted to go to. And here, Paul responds to that. Sometimes you say, Pastor, how do I know God's will? Sometimes God closes every door but one, and that's his will. Many people have asked, hey, how, how did you end up back in the Bay Area? How did you end up serving at Liberty Baptist in 2007? They were the only church that offered me a job out of seminary. And I was like, all right, well, I don't want to be unemployed. And uh, I called my parents. I was like, hey, uh, I might move back home. They were like, there's no room for you. We don't, we don't have a room. So I was like, okay, all right, God's will is San Jose, all right? And then, of course, everybody that I had talked to from San Jose called it the Bay Area in San Francisco. San Francisco's 48 miles further. Like, San Francisco's not even close, all right? And so it's just so deceiving at times. You come to San Jose, and all of a sudden, you just realize this is God's will. This is how he just works it out. So Paul, he ends up receiving what we call as the Macedonian call. Verse number 11. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Nepalus, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that port of Macedonia, a colony, and we were staying in that city for some days. Let me give you a little background. Rome at that day would establish these Roman colonies. They would call it a Rome away from Rome, all right? What they would do is they would take Roman citizens who were loyal to Rome, and they would say, you can be tax-free if you'll go start a Roman colony, a place that looks just like Rome, and help us establish a base there. So this city, the city of Philippi, which you're going to read about later in the Apostle Paul's writings, was just such a city. It was a strong Roman city. And so that's where Paul's going to go. Paul always liked to take the gospel to urban centers, places where there was a lot of influence, because the apostle Paul knew that the gospel will then just trickle down everywhere else. If he could get the gospel to cities of influence, there's nothing wrong with taking the gospel to smaller suburbs and towns, but the apostle Paul always wanted to go to centers of influence. This is why you'll see that he was driven to go to Rome in his life. So he goes to Philippi, and in this city, he comes to this moment where now he wants to reach this city. And then we see in verse number 13, and on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside. Now, if you remember, Paul would always go to the temple. He would always go to where the Christians or where the uh, Israelites were, and he would witness there first. Now, this is a new colony, and to have a synagogue, you needed at least 10 Jewish men. Otherwise, if there wasn't 10 Jewish men, you couldn't build a synagogue. 
the closest thing that you could do if you were a Jewish person wanting to adhere to that religion is to then you would go to a body of water. And here's what's fascinating. You weren't allowed to go to a lake. You weren't allowed to go to a stagnant body of water. In their custom, if there was no synagogue, you had to go to a place, and this is what they would use, that had living water. And I find that so interesting. Remember the first song that we sang this evening? I come alive in the water. You see, in that culture for the Jewish people, if there was no synagogue to encounter the holiness of God because God is alive, you'd go to a river, a living, a moving body of water. That's where you could go, somewhere that was life-giving. Now, also remember, Paul, he hears the Macedonian call. So here's what's so profound. So in this verse that we're reading, he comes to this river. Verse 13, on the Sabbath day, he went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customly made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Paul wouldn't have talked to the women if there wasn't men there. Here's what's so amazing. And this is why transition could be so difficult. Paul heard a man calling him. He gets to where God called him. There's no man. And all of a sudden, it's like, okay, I'm going to pull a John 4 here. There's a woman at the well. They're here. I'm going to witness to them. And so Paul begins to witness to people. This is outside of his comfort zone. This is transition. This is not what his ministry was prepared for. But then the Bible says in verse 14, now a certain woman named Lydia, if your name is Lydia, this is where your name's found, heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Verse 15, and when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. The whole passage that we read is all about transition, uncomfortable transition, transition that we don't know how to deal with. And maybe that's where you find yourself, and I'd love for you to write this down, that when it comes to transition, there's going to be tension in all transition. There's going to be tension. Many of us, when it comes to transition, we want tension-free. We don't want any tension. We think our life, it has too much stress. And you say, what was Paul's tension? Paul's tension was this. He was supposed to do something new, but he didn't know what was next. He just knew God was calling him to something new, but he didn't know what was next after the new. He just knows that God's calling me somewhere. I just don't know where. You ever felt like that? You know God's stirring something inside of you? I call it a holy discontent. It's something where you know God's calling you to more. You just don't know where the more is. God's calling you to serve. You just don't know where to serve. You know God is doing something where you just can't sit still anymore. It's not enough just to sit in the pew. It's thinking, you know what, God, you're calling me to something else. So where is it? That's the transition Paul's wrestling with. He's saying, God, I'm ready to go. I'm the Apostle Paul. You can throw rocks at me. I'll get up and keep preaching. You can throw me in prison, and I'll just pray the doors open. You can call me names. I'll just keep going. You can do whatever you want. I won't stop. And here the Apostle Paul is finally feeling the tension in transition. And maybe that's where you find yourself. You're saying, God, there's so much tension. I thought when it came to God's will, they would be totally at peace. No. Sometimes doing God's will is the most that you will feel not at peace. Do you think that Peter, as he got out of the boat, was feeling peace? He was not. As a matter of fact, we know he wasn't because when he began to look at the waves and the wind, the Bible says his heart was troubled and he began to sink. You see, oftentimes when we choose to follow God, peace comes after the fact, not during. We're just saying, Lord, I'm going to be faithful to you because I know peace is on the other side of this storm. I know that there's a peace to be found on the other side of this cross. I know there's a peace to be found on the other side of this trial. What did the Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say before they were put into the fiery furnace. Our God is well able to save us. But if he doesn't, like they just kind of know. It's like, hey, but if not, that's not perfectly at peace. So as Christians, sometimes people think that it's not God's will unless I feel complete peace. I get to do a few weddings, and it's amazing how many weddings I'll do. And some of the couples, they'll say, man, I just, I don't know. Am I getting jitters? I'm saying, absolutely. Absolutely. Of course you're getting jitters. 
Somebody's about to move to a new city. Oh, I don't know if this is the right thing. Of course you're going to feel jitters. Anything new, there's going to be a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of tension. And so Paul is demonstrating that for us. But notice, God used the no in Paul's life to get him where he wanted him to go. God said no twice to get him to this place where he could win Lydia to the gospel. And Lydia is going to be used to establish a great church in Philippi. So, I love this. Paul wanted to gain new ground for the gospel, and God was going to lead him. And I like this quote that I heard once. Rejection is just redirection. You see, he received rejection from God twice, but it's just God redirecting him. So right now, you may be in a situation where you just keep getting told no. Could it be God's redirecting your path? Could it be that God's trying to lead you? Throughout the fast that I was on, the top reason I wanted to fast was simply for one thing. It was the answers from God. I said, I'm at a lack. I don't know what the future holds. I want to have a clear vision of the future. And so I began to fast and pray and seek God, saying, Lord, I need some answers. And can I tell you what God did at the end of 40 days? I still don't have the answers. <laughs> Not a one. But I know God's peace is with me now at the other side of it. There are some things now that I'm more sure of. Even though I'm uncertain, I'm still even more sure of what God is doing. Because even though I can't see his hand, I can trust his heart. Because the heart of our God is for us, not against us. So even though there is tension, we can still go through the transition. But I want you to notice something interesting about Paul. Paul was a man that we're going to see in the next chapter. We'll study it next week. Somebody came to Paul and said, Paul, do not go back to Jerusalem because they're going to bind your hands and they're going to put you in jail. And this will be the end of your life, your ministry. And then Paul responds to the preacher and says, if I die, I die. I don't care. That's basically what he said. What do you do with a man like that? He says, I don't care if I die for Jesus. I'm still going. So this is a man who is stubborn. Do I got any stubborn people in the room? You're going to wave your hands at me. Yeah. I know you're stubborn. I know some of you are stubborn. I can just look at you and know you're stubborn because you won't raise your hand. You're like, no, nobody can tell me to raise my hand. And nobody can tell me what to do. Yeah. No, no, no. Here's Paul. He's stubborn. Paul's going to do what Paul wants to do. Isn't it so amazing that the stubborn man like Paul, that a man like Paul, instead of just saying, you know what, I want to go to Asia, I want to take the gospel to Mongolia and China, I'm going to go, he doesn't. And I'd love for you to write this down because that would have been how Paul would have done things. But old habits don't open new doors. Some of you are living old habits, you're wondering why God's not opening new doors. Some of you know you need to have a daily habit of spending time with God, a daily habit of getting into his word, a daily habit of communicating and building your marriage, a daily habit of spending time with your children, a daily habit of praying for your ministry and praying for your church, a daily habit that you say, I'm going to work hard at my job. I'm going to work hard into my, my future. There needs to be some daily habits because guess what? Old habits never open new doors. Paul had to learn some things that he had never learned before. Some of you are stuck only because you refuse to change your habits. You refuse to grow. You are the type of person that says, nope, this is the way I've always done things. This is the way I always will do things. My mom, she would tell me, Micaiah, you were the hardest person out of my seven children to raise. The hardest person. You were so stubborn. I remember being a three-year-old kid, and my parents told me, hey, Micaiah, you're going to eat that plate of rice. I didn't know he was, God was preparing me to marry a Filipino, okay? I just wasn't going to eat my rice. I just was not going to eat my rice. She so said, Micaiah, you need to eat your rice. So as a three-year-old boy, I don't remember this, but she, would t she told me, she said, you stood up, you had your plate of rice, and she said, I looked her straight in the eyes, and I just dumped it right in front of her. And she was like, you did not just do that. And I said, what if I did, Victoria? My mom's name is Victoria. Never call your mom by her first name. Never, 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 never do that. After that, she spanked me 100 times. After that, she's like 100. She's like, I'll spank you 100 times. She counted one, two, three, four, nine, nine. And then, as if that wasn't enough, she said, because I had to spank you 100 times, your dad's going to come and spank you again. You know, and it was just, that's who I was. I was just a difficult child. And then, uh, I fall in love with this amazing woman named Jane Tremortinamison. 
And then I'm talking to her parents, and I was like, hey, so uh, your daughter Jane is so, so sweet. She's so beautiful. She's so wonderful. Which out of your kids are the hardest to raise? Was it Julian, Furman, Faye? And they were like, oh, no. Oh, no. There was one child that was the hardest to raise out of all of them, and it was the one I picked to marry. I was like, God just has a sense of irony, doesn't it? It's just like two stubborn people, two very driven people. So we can have a stubborn, difficult marriage, or I can learn some new habits that'll open up new doors. As a Christian, what are you learning that's new? Is it the same thing? Are you stuck in the old habits of your faith? Are you in a season that says, you know what? I gotta grow in this season. I don't know if you're looking at the landscape of what our country looks like or what our state looks like. We need Christians who say, hey, you know what? It's not enough what I was doing before. It's not enough how I was praying before. It's not enough how I was evangelizing before. It's not enough how I was going to church before. It's not enough for me to just sit in the pew for just hear a little sermon, hear a couple worship songs, take a little communion, drop a dollar in the offering plate, and go about my sinful way. No, i got to change some things because that's the only way we're going to change this world is if it starts with me. But we've had too long, too many Christians who just said, no, no, I'm good. I'm just going to stay in my old habits, my old patterns. And can I tell you, there's only one person that's happy when you do that, and his name is the devil. The devil wants you to stay what you are, as you are, that's it. And for too long in the church, we've said this, come as you are and stay as you are. And we've allowed you to do that with our little sermonettes, tickling your ears, instead of opening the word of God and saying, no, 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 friend. If you want to gain new ground for the kingdom, you want to take the Philippi's, you want to go win the Lydia's, you want to go to new heights, and everybody who says, oh, I want to go to new heights, guess what? you got to learn to climb. The air is thinner up there, so guess what? Your lungs have to get used to the altitude, so you've got to acclimate to that. It takes some work, but as soon as a little work comes into play, all of a sudden the Christians are like, oh, that's a little bit hard. It's amazing that God can send his son Jesus to shed his blood for you, but we won't even give a sweat drop of blood. We won't do nothing. As soon as it gets hard, it's like, oh, they asked me to help with teardown. They asked me to help with setup. They asked me to help in Ridge Kids. They asked me to pass an offering plate. They asked me to come on a Saturday. They asked me to come to a life group. Can you believe that church? Well, excuse me, we want to reach this world, and we just thought you wanted that too. Excuse me. Because we believe that there's a world that needs saving. We believe that there's a heaven that's sweet. And we believe that there's a hell that's hot. And we believe there's a Jesus that loves. And we believe there's a God that's saved. And we believe that we need to tell people that they can have eternal life in heaven and don't have to suffer in the horrors of hell. That's why we keep going. That's why we keep preaching. And I'm so excited, even though the media may not report on it, that over 50,000 Christians gathered in Washington, D.C. yesterday and began to worship and began to pray and began to seek God. And that's what our country needs. That's what churches need. That's what your families need. That's what relationships need. People that will say, you know what, I don't care who's watching. I'm going to lift my voice and listen to Michael W. Smith lead us in how great is our God. And 50,000 people were lifting up their voices and finally our nation is waking up that Jesus is the answer. And the church needs to seek it too. The church needs to get back to some things saying, I'm done with the old way of doing things. And they needed to get to some living water. Do you need some living water? Maybe you're tired of the stagnant pools you're drinking from. You got some stagnant relationships? I'm going to say something. Walk away. Go find something that's got some living water. You got some things that are dead in your life? Walk away. Walk away from it. You see, there's going to be tension in transition. But let's keep reading. Verse number 16. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And he came out of the very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrate and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. 
and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or abuse, observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrate tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And then they laid them many stripes on them. They threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Hey, you're not only going to have tension in transition, you're going to have trouble in transition. But I love the Apostle Paul. He didn't heal this girl because he was anointed. He healed her because he was annoyed. You ever just wanted to heal your children because you're just annoyed with them? Like, I just I know there's a demon in this child or something. You know, he's just like... Hey, I'm a pastor. Sometimes I look at church members and I'm like, I know you got a demon. We need to exercise that demon out. Man, we need to do something. See, here the apostle Paul, he, he, he was faced with not only tension, but he was faced with real trouble. Mark this down. There's no advance without attack. You will never advance the kingdom of God without some attack. Are you trying to gain ground in your marriage? Are you trying to gain ground in your office? You're trying to witness to your coworkers? You're trying to gain ground in your neighborhood? There's always going to be an attack. But yet Christians are always surprised by this. We're surprised that the transition may bring a little bit of trouble. You see, there's never purpose without some persecution. You see, God, when it comes to persecution, great persecution always follows great purpose. It's always going to be there. You see, if you see the potential, mark it down, so does Satan. And he's going to do everything in his sick, demented power to stop you. He tried to stop you from coming to church today. He tried to stop you from opening your Bible today. He tried to stop you from going to your life group. He tried to stop you from investing in your relationships that matter. He tried to stop and break up your marriage. He tried to stop and break up your job. He tried to stop and break up the relationship with your children. He is always at work. But you and I need to say, you know what? I expected trouble. I expected this. I expected the trouble. And then we remember, it's not an equal fight. It's not an equal fight. You say, yeah, I feel outnumbered. And maybe that's the way you feel. Feel outnumbered. But I'm telling you tonight on the authority of God's word, it's not an equal fight. I've read the end. We win. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. For we are more than conquerors through him. You see, we're the conquerors. But to be a conqueror means you have to have something to conquer. And Christians are surprised that sometimes we have to take ground, that sometimes we have to overcome some things. You can't pray away an addiction you built over the last 10 years. You're going to have to fight that thing. You're going to have to get some filtering software. You're going to have to get some accountability. You're going to have to pray and fast. I talked with somebody, and I've been sharing this throughout the fast, and maybe you're aware of it. Any farmers in the house? Any farmers? Any gardeners in the house? Let's see. We got, oh, we got gardeners. Now you can relate. I grew up in the Central Valley, which is the breadbasket of the world. I was surrounded by acres and acres and miles and miles of just huge farms. My dad's church was just a bunch of old farmers, and the farms were passed down from generation to generation. When, then these, when you talk to these old farmers, if they ever had an infestation of flies, there was something they would have to do to the infestation of flies. They would see these, send these planes that would crop dust their fields, but you couldn't just do it once. Do you know that? You would have to crop dust those fields 40 days in a row to kill the flies because that's how long it takes to kill the fly, their larvae, and anything else they may have landed on and laid eggs on. It took 40 days. You know what's interesting? The Pharisees called Jesus Beelzebub. You know what Beelzebub means? Lord of the flies. You want to destroy Satan and his power? It's going to take 40 days. 40 days of prayer and fast and say, God, I got to break the stranglehold. I got to break the yoke of bondage off of me. God, I want to be set at free. But some of you think you got, God can do it in 40 minutes at a church service, and then I'm not going to see you for another six or seven weeks. I'm telling you, 40 minutes is not enough. Now, sometimes God in his miraculous power may save and set people free, but we are foolish to think that we can spend a lifetime of sinning and think that God will just melt it all away. No, 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 you're going to have to work at that. You're going to have to say, God, look, there's going to be some trouble in this transition, but I'm willing to fight. I'm willing to work at it. 
That's why we need to be as a church, a church that mentors and trains. You see, Paul mentored and trained Timothy. Paul, after he'd finished up a missionary journey, would go back and encourage and strengthen the churches. He wanted disciples. He wanted learners. He wanted people who were strong in the knowledge of God's word. Are we growing in God's word? Because that will help you to overcome and face the trouble that this world has. Because right now, you can look around, and if you're not in God's word, you'll get hopeless. But as soon as you get into God's word, you'll start getting hopeful because God's word will encourage you. God's word will speak to you because you're going to deal with transition. You say, but pastor, you said it's not equal. You're right, it's not. Let's continue reading verse number 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas, they were praying and singing hymns to God. And prisoners were listening to them. They had an audience The prisoners weren't saying, hey, shut it. Shut that trap. Stop singing. No. Paul and Silas at midnight, remember, folks, they were just beaten 40 times with rods. They were just beaten within an inch of their life, hauled into the prison, the innermost prison. You would have an outdoor common area, but then you would have an innermost area, which is very similar to what they would believe would be the Mamertine prison that Paul spent two years in. And it's just a a dirty, dark, dank place where disease and bacteria and human waste and filth would just be there. And there they were chained. And instead of moaning and complaining, they are singing and worshiping. Because the transition led them to testify of God's goodness. I'm just amazed by that. You get a raise, you get a promotion, you get a a new car and you won't even testify. These guys, they get beaten with rods. They were like, we just got to sing about this. I just got beaten. You just got beaten. Let's sing a song and worship God. I don't know. They would just make something up. I don't know what they were singing. Oh, victory in Jesus. How great is our God? I don't know what song they were singing, but at night they were worshiping God and everybody else was listening to them. This is how I know it's not an equal fight because they were fighting back with something that even the devil himself couldn't couldn't quite figure out. Even the jailer couldn't quite figure out. They were singing. This, what happens when they sing, verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed and the keeper of the prison awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called out with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Then he called for a light and ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What a powerful question. The man that probably stood guard as they were being beaten, the man that put them in the prison, is now a few hours later by the word of their testimony is saying to those same men, what must I do to be saved? And I love this, the apostle Paul and Silas They have an answer. Let me ask you a convicting question. Tonight, you go out to eat and you go somewhere. Somebody walks up to you and says, what must I do to be saved? What would you tell them? Would you have an answer? Or would you be like, all right, what pastor spell cell phone? Babe, what's his number? What's his number? Come on. This, this man needs to be saved. We need the pastor. What's Pastor Missile? What's, what's, come on. Where, where's somebody's number? We got to call somebody. Hey, let's register for that class. They're doing evangelism class. Can, did they record it on the Zoom call? Let's get, let's get. No, no. Would you be ready? Because Paul and Silas were ready. They were ready to witness to him. They were ready with God's word saying, hey, I know exactly what you need to hear. And that's what they go on to do. Notice what they said. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Not, hey, go forsake all your idols. Hey, stop messing around. Stop gambling. No, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Salvation is simple. And it's significant. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour at night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. We're talking about transition. I'd love for you to write this down. What I learned from this passage of scripture is to trust the transition. God was trying to get them to this man. Remember the Macedonian call? Who appeared to Paul in the vision? A man or a woman? A man. Why was Paul so adamant about this man? I believe this is the man that he saw. 
I believe that as he was being beat with the rods. And at that moment, you'll see in the story, Paul's a Roman. There was no jury. You cannot sentence a Roman without a jury. They beat him, but Paul's quiet. Paul doesn't show anything. We don't have a lot of time, but at the end of this chapter, Paul's going to reveal that. He's going to say, hey, I was a Roman, and you still beat me. I'm a Roman citizen, but Paul doesn't say anything. He takes each beating, and I think in the gleam of his eye, he looks out of the corner of his eye, and he sees that man, he's thinking, that's the guy. That's him. That's the guy I saw in my vision. That's the person who said, come and help us. You see, you and I are praying for God to open doors, but here's what I love about this passage. The door you and I really want God to open is the prison door. Some of you are praying for doors to open that really aren't that big doors. You need to start praying for God to open doors that are impossible, that you wouldn't even have the faith to even pray for it so big. You wouldn't even have the faith to dream for it's too big. You wouldn't even think that maybe God would raise something great, that maybe God would turn something around, that maybe God would use your family line to start something great, that maybe God would redeem your past, that maybe God would use your child, that maybe God would use your marriage, that maybe God would use your church, that maybe God would use you. If you would simply say, God, here I am, use me. God, I want to see what great things you can do but you got to trust the transition you got to say God I, I'm going to trust you in this I don't know why this is happening but I'm going to trust it you see in this moment he's trusting and here's what's amazing this jailer was about to commit suicide you know why because if you were a jailer in that day and age and your charges or the convicts you're over escape you have to deal with their penalty. You have to take it. Whatever's going to happen to them has to happen to you. So here's a man who's about to commit suicide that ends up committing his life to Jesus Christ. Talk about a change in direction. Paul thought he was going east, and God says, no, we're going west. This man thought he was going to hell. God's like, no, you're going to heaven. We're going to do a change. We're going to move things around, and that's what God wants to do in your life. You may be on the wrong path this evening, and God says, I want to turn that you may be headed in a place, you may have thoughts in your mind right now, things you're going to do that you know are wrong, and you're just sitting here tonight, and I'm telling you on the authority of God's word that he wants you to turn. He wants you to head in a different direction. He wants you to have a new destination. But too many of you, you won't trust the transition. So what you will do is you will trade the trust away just to get out of trouble. You will trade that trust away just to get out of trouble. What do I got to do to get out of this? How quickly can I get out of this? I don't like, I don't like dealing with this emotion. I don't like dealing with this pain. So what can I do to self-medicate? What can I do to uh, uh, cope with this? What can I do to take this? What, what can I, who can I be with? What can I take? What can I, what can I do to just uh, avoid all this? Because I don't want to deal with this. And because you do that, you get trapped in transition. So what do you mean trapped in transition? If you won't learn the lesson, you'll find that the lesson just keeps coming back. It'll just, God's like, all right, I'll just, I'll just. We'll just repeat this. Some of you are like, why am I stuck in the same vicious cycle? Because old habits don't open new doors. And God's saying, are you ready to change? Are you ready to try something new? Are you ready to just follow me and to seek me? You see, there will always be a test at the transition. God will always test you at transition. But at midnight, Paul and Silas said, hey, we're going to pray. and We're going to seek God. We're going to testify of what he's doing. And they sang praises. Why did they sing praise? Because they just needed a praise break. K-Love wasn't available in the prison. Their Spotify account wasn't getting any Wi-Fi. Can I tell you why they were praising him? Because it was right and reasonable. Because when you think about how good God is, you know it's just right and reasonable to praise him at all times. The psalmist said, I will praise him at all times. Why do you always got to wait for a reason to praise God? I think the best thing you and I can do is when we're having a bad day, that's the time we say, I really need to praise him today because I need to reorient my mind. I need to reorient my heart. Some of us are surrounded by so much of otherworldly music. I'm so ashamed that the number one song right now is a very wicked, horrible, godless, sinful song, and it's become an anthem for uh, 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 feminism is this song, uh, WAP, and it's disgusting, it's vile. But yet we've got a generation of young women and young girls that they think, yeah, that's yeah, that's my anthem. That's my jam. And I'm thinking, dear God, we need to worship God. What happened to Jesus loves me? This I know, for the Bible tells me so. 
What happened to the B-I-B-L-E? Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. What happened to the old songs that we used to sing, the songs that honored God, the songs that honored the Bible, the songs that honored the precious blood of Jesus? What happened to lifting that up in your home? Parent, guard what your children are listening to. Hey, young adult, I know you can listen to whatever you want to listen to, but there's certain trash that's affecting your mindset. Hey, I know adult, I know mom or dad, you can listen to and view whatever you want, but you're allowing trash into your mind. Hey, every Thursday, I got to have my trash cans pulled out to the curb. But when I pull those things back in, you got to tip those things over and hose those things out because there's some junk in there. But I don't take that juice, put it into a little saucer, and then pour it on my dinner and eat that. But some of us allow some of the vilest garbage into our life. You're pumping it in, and you just don't know why it's affecting you. You're like, Pastor, you're such a prude, it's not affecting me. Yes, it is. You don't understand what it's doing to your heart, what it's doing to your mind, how it's just pulling you away. Because Satan's just trying to distract you from all that God wants to do in your life. God is calling you. He's trying to lead you. But God is going to test you at transition. You say, why would God test you? God will test your level of trust before he trusts you with a new level. Some of you are like, God, just take me to a new level. Just give me that management. Give me that supervisor job. Just give me that paycheck. Just give me that spouse. God, just give me a boyfriend. Give me a girlfriend. Give me a job. Give me this. Give me that. Give me this. And God's like, I can't give you nothing because I can't trust you at any level. I'm testing you right here, and you won't even let me test you. You cry and complain and whine. I'm embarrassed sometimes, we as Christians. We say, oh, God, I'm ready to do great things for you. And God's like, I don't need you to do great things. I just need you to read your Bible. Like, I'm telling you folks, that's where we all need to start. How about just every day we crack open the book? All right? Because I know it's sure you're in Facebook. All right, maybe not the younger millennials. You're like, Facebook's dead, yo. Like, where are you at? And I can't get TikTok anymore. The government banned it or something. So I'm like, who knew? So here we are, and we've got to step back and say, God, I'm going to trust you. And if you trust God at the transition, notice this, please write this down. Trusting God begins when you give up what you want for what you know he wants. Trusting God is when you give up what you want for what you know he wants. That's when you and your girl are about to go out to eat. You look over and say, we only got money for one of us. So what you want, we'll share. I hate that, but... I love you. That's what happens for the Christian when God says, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for somebody who'll say, God, I'll just trust you with it all. God, I'll trust you at my workplace. I'm going to witness for Jesus. I'm going to have a Bible there. They may fire me. They may get mad at me. They may, who, who knows what they'll do. But I'm going to let people know I follow Jesus. Man, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to worship Jesus. And I'm going to tell people that God loves him. Because when it comes to testing me at transition, I know I give God first. But can I tell you, maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, you know what? I think I'm going through transition, but I just don't know. I'm going to tell you this when it comes to transition. Transition always comes clearly. It's like the call of God. It just comes clearly. It's clear. We make it harder than it really is. But not only does it come clearly, but I want you to understand this. It'll always cost you dearly. The Apostle Paul and Silas, they paid dearly, didn't they? But at the end of this chapter, what happens? Not only do we now have a new church started in this city, but God is doing something powerful because you have Lydia, which is a seller of purple. And Lydia, many scholars believe this was her, her business that she's now branching out to other major cities because purple was very fine, it's very rare, and you would make it from the seashells that were found by Philippi. And we believe that she had this franchise and she was moving her company. Here's a wealthy, influential woman that the Apostle Paul just saw one to Christ, and you're going to see her house be the first house and then you've got this Philippian jailer he and his family were just one to Christ so now you have the nucleus of a strong New Testament church that's going to be planted the apostle Paul's going to write to and so you see not does it only does the call of God come clearly it costs dearly but it counts immeasurably you know tonight up in heaven I guarantee you Paul's meeting with that church he said hey guys remember what we went through remember everything we endured remember we didn't even have a building we met by a river Hey, y'all, we've got better than river. We at least got a building. We at least get to be together. 
And sometimes we can complain instead of saying, you know what, God's working. God is moving. Yes, there's transition. And there may be more transition to come. But I want to have a church filled with people who say, I'm going to trust God in this transition. I'm going to see what God's going to do in this transition. And I'm going to let God work in a miraculous way because he's God. I'm not. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows how this is all going to work out. So I'm going to continue to let God be God. He sits on the throne. I don't sit up there with him. I'm not his advisor. I'm not the one to tell him what to do. And I'm going to trust that he is working. I'm going to trust that he's working in my children's life, my parents' life, my marriage, my relationships, my job, my church, my city, my country. I trust God. We used to sing, trust and obey, for there's no other way to live happy in Jesus than to simply trust and obey. Come on, we watch the movies. You ever seen the rom-coms? Where, of course, the dude is like, oh, you just gotta trust me. Holds out his hand, and they're all like, oh, it's amazing. At least I am, I'm a little bit more emotional like that, I guess, I don't know, it's weird. And you're just like, man, look at that moment. She trusted him. He trusted them. And look what a beautiful thing happened. But then we as Christians were like, God, prove yourself. God's like, I thought I did. Have you read this? I thought, I thought like, I've done it a couple times. Like, the Red Sea wasn't enough. All right, like, what else do you need? You need me to close some lion's mouths? I did that. You need, you need some, some fireproof, faithful Christians? I did that. You need me to turn some, some water into wine? I did that, and I did one better. It was some nasty water that turned into wine. Hey, what else you need? Hey, I, I brought dead people out of tombs. They were four days dead. Hey, I, I multiplied bread and loaves. What more do we need to trust God? What are we waiting for? To just simply just trust him. Hey, we complain so much, and when we complain, we're really giving voice to how much we actually doubt God. That's what complaining does. It means I just don't believe that God is going to work. I don't believe that God is strong enough. But when are we going to get to the point where we just say, you know what, I totally trust him. I've shared this story multiple times. I'll share it again. Famous tightrope walker in the 1800s. His name was Charles Blondine. Charles Blondine would go across the Niagara Falls, and the uh, rope would be 1,100 feet stretched across. And he would walk across as a tightrope walker. And Charles Blondine would do this back and forth, back and forth. And he would do it with a blindfold. History records that one time he did it with a wheelbarrow, walked across. One time he had inside the wheelbarrow, he had a potbelly stove, and he cooked a pancake in the middle of the Niagara Fall on the rope with nothing else, just balancing, no safety net, no safety rope, and he would cook a pancake right there in the middle. Charles Blondine was fearless. He goes across with the wheelbarrow, and then he tells the crowd that it would just gather there, and he'd say, who believes that I can take a man across in this wheelbarrow? The crowd erupts. And then he's like, all right, who'll get in the wheelbarrow? <laughs> Crowd got quiet. Till one day a man stepped out of the crowd. Actually, it was a woman. She was in her 80s. She stepped out of the crowd. She got in her wheelbarrow. And Charles Blundine took her across. That woman was Charles' mother. Because Charles knew, or that woman knew, that's my son. I can trust my son. He's not going to let me fall. God's just asking you to step out and trust him. When Jane and I planted the church, my mom texted me a verse out of Psalms 100. They that do business in great ships that go out into deep waters, see God's wonders in the deep. And on January 26, 2014, when we launched the church that very first morning, she texted me that verse. She said, Micaiah, you're about to see God's wonders in the deep. God has ceased. He hasn't ceased to amaze me. The people we've seen saved, the great moments that we've seen God move, the things God has done, the lives we've seen changed. We wrote names on a wall, and even though the wall's not there, those names are now written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. There are people that I've baptized that I thought would never come to Christ. 
The impact we've had on a city as just a small nucleus, a small gathering, the money that we've sent into world missions, the things that this church has been able to do. There's an orphanage in India that now houses over 70 young people who are free from sex trafficking and the sex trade because of this church. We built an orphanage and it's over there. The things that God has done through this church, the things God has done over the last 40 days, I can't wait to tell you about. I can't wait. It's just inside of my heart, the miracles that God has done. I just got to tell you, COVID has wiped out a lot of churches. One out of five churches is going to close. One out of five pastors are going to retire. One third of Christians have walked away from the church. I know there's some churches saying, this is the best day of the church. No, you're seeing a real shakeup. There are people that are done. I've talked to pastors that are so discouraged. I've shared with you what every, each and every Monday, Pastor Miss and I, we just go to some church and try to encourage their staff and pastors. We show up after church after church, and I can't tell you how many text messages and letters of pastors are saying, hey, thank you, that meant a lot to our team. That somebody else is saying, hey, come on, guys, we're in this together. And I've talked to pastors who said, our church is done. We have no money. And at the beginning of this year, our church has been saving up in a building fund. And it's like, all right, here comes COVID. All right, lay off everybody, stop spending any money, do whatever. And so we have this building fund. It was about half of what it is now, right about $500,000, a little bit over. That was January, about $500,000. We are $22,000 shy of a million dollars right now in that account. That's during COVID, y'all. That's during, you can't have church. You can't meet at the drive-in. We're going to send police. We're going to send people to shut you down. We're going to kick you out of the hotel, this parking lot, that parking lot. We're going to harass you. We're going to write you threatening letters. We're going to do all this. And God just keeps showing up. Why? Because this church says, I trust God. This church just said, I believe we can still walk on water. I believe we can still go through the fire. In the middle of this fast, God did some of the greatest miracles, not just financial. This may get some of you to fast. I don't know, maybe. I was fasting, and, and a person in our church walks up during the fast. I'm halfway through. said, I heard about your fast. Praying for you. Hands me an envelope. I open the envelope. $100,000 for our church. Who, what? That's our God. That's our God moving. That's our God saying, trust me. That's our God saying, don't worry about what's happening in the world. Uh, you turn on the TV and all of a sudden you're fearful. All of a sudden you look at everything, you're just like, oh, there's so much to be afraid of. I don't know what's going to happen to our children. And God is trying to tell the generation to say, hey, don't worry. Don't be afraid. I've not given you the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. God is saying, hey, go forward in this future. I'm telling you, the best days are yet to come for our church. Yes, there's going to be transition. The transition is never going to stop. But that's where God's saying, hey, here's a church I can trust with transition. Here's a church that I can trust that will simply say, you know what? Yes, we will make it through. I don't know. I'm being honest. I said, God, I need answers. And God says, I'm not going to give them. You just got to go forward. And I'm saying, okay, all right. I, I just trust God. I trust him. Let me close with this last statement. I've kept you long enough, but I feel like I need to share this last thing with you. You see, those who put everything in God's hand will see God's hand in everything. Those who put everything in God's hand will see God's hand in everything. Let's stand and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, man, you're good. You're so good. There's so much you're doing. God, you were working in so many ways underneath the surface and so many hearts and lives right now. God, there are people that their heart was so hard a month or two ago, and right now you're breaking that hard heart where they are open, ready to receive you as their personal Lord and Savior. There are people that thought, God, it's over, and you are moving. We're in transition. It's not fun, but we are seeing God, you're doing great things. 
And so God, in this moment, we've got to take time and seek you. Every head bowed and every eye closed. The Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? And the Apostle Paul said, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved. Maybe you're here and you say, I don't know Jesus Christ, my personal Savior. And if you were to die on your way home, you know you would not spend eternity in heaven, but eternity in hell. And you're here tonight to hear the glorious message of the gospel that there is a free gift that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Maybe this evening you're saying, you know what? I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want to ask two questions. Those of you that you say, yes, I've made the decision. I've received Jesus Christ, my personal Savior. We just lift up your hand and say, yes, I've made that decision. I know I've asked Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would there anybody here today that would say, I don't know Jesus my Savior, and tonight I want to receive Jesus my Savior? Is anybody like that this evening? I want to pray for you. Tonight I believe God wants to do some work in your heart. We're going to sing one last song. We're going to worship before we're dismissed, before we begin this new week. But we're going to open up the front of this altar. And I'm going to invite you to come down. You can kneel and pray, seek God, and cry out to Him, and allow Him to fill the voids in your heart or you can make an altar right there in your seat you could seek God but don't leave this place until you get it settled that you trust God in the transition that you trust God in the difficulty that yeah there's a lot of transition but you're going to trust him there's no greater higher compliment than to say you trust someone so right now let's worship the Lord and pray We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.